0: I'm Ingrid Rose, and this is Writer's Radio. The story we're bringing you this fortnight is written and told by our own Carol Harmon, writer, co-producer, and co-host of Writer's Radio. In Queen of Flowers... A shy daughter remembers her vivacious Scottish mother. The embellished story she dramatized, family secrets only revealed on her deathbed.
1: Queen of Flowers as soon as I take homeopathic sepia, I start writing about my mother. Sepia is a remedy of emancipation for women. I watch The Queen on Netflix and it floods back. 1997. mum in Rocky View Hospital in Calgary. In the lounge down the hall, non-stop coverage of Princess Diana's car crash has captured the TV. The people's princess is gone, leaving 15 tons of flowers in plastic sheathing before the gates of Kensington Palace. Rocky View Hospital specializes in geriatrics, but Mom is here because of acute complications, a heart condition, a small sneaky lung tumor snugged up to her pulmonary plexus and a broken heart from Dad's long illness, his death just a week ago. It never occurs to me she is also old. This wing smells of old age and death. I'm with her through the long days. At night I snatch a few hours of sleep at the house of a friend. I bring in my aromatherapy burner with bergamot, orange and geranium essential oils. Their fragrance wafts through hallways, wanders into every room, cheering an old man, calming an hysterical woman waking from nightmare. It's against hospital policy to bring alternative remedies into the hospital, but nurses look the other way. The healing aromas deodorize and compost the stench of death and decay. In Mom's room, I attach a plastic vase to the window where a row of single blossoms parade, silhouetted by the panorama of Calgary. I'm united with the unfolding scene in Britain by the fragrance of flowers. There they rot in their plastic wrappings. Here we inhale their pure essence. I'm bemused by the worldwide outpouring of mourning for Princess Diana. I feel some of the reticence at public display Queen Elizabeth signals, which comes across as coldness. The movie The Queen moves me deeply. Helen Mirren, as Elizabeth, responds to the outpouring of grief at Diana's death, reveals her inner anguish through the flutter of an eyelid, twitch of a lip. The intent expression on her face as she reads messages of adoration of Diana and censure leveled against herself. My mother is Scots. She lived through World War II and has always had a stiff upper lip. Is it flower fragrances which loosen Mum's tongue? In those Rockyview days, before she returns to Banff to die, her cancer deemed inoperable. She reveals secrets. I wasn't her first pregnancy. I briefly had an older sister. Then Mum miscarried. This news saddens me for Mum, but I'm also curiously comforted. I'm not, after all, an only child. I know now Mum also felt anguish at my lone childhood. She was the youngest of seven children and had assumed she would have a large family. She told me her mother finally locked herself in the front bedroom when her lusty husband came home from the bar. After my birth, Dad was warned, No. More. Children. While the world mourns Princess Diana, Mom and I laugh. When she's taken by ambulance for tests at the cancer center, she flirts with the ambulance attendants, calls them her taxi drivers. They humor her. When we leave Rocky View, the fragrances of bergamot, orange, and geranium have colonized two floors of the hospital. A scene in The Queen parallels a scene in the TV series The Crown in which young Queen Elizabeth dons wellies and kerchief, then, guided by a servant with a gun, hikes resolutely over the highlands to shoot a magnificent stake. In the Queen, an older Elizabeth flees her cares without guide or gun, driving herself through the highlands in a Land Rover. When it breaks down, crossing a stream, she encounters the magnificent 16-point stag her husband has been stalking. They gaze at each other, monarchs of their own kingdoms. The phone rings in the middle of the night in 1987. Dad has had an aortic aneurysm and is being rushed to Foothills Hospital in Calgary by ambulance. Mom is with him, along with the emergency room doctor, who is prepared to do surgery in the ambulance if necessary. I bundle up Sebastian and Julia and rush to Calgary, Stephen driving, me still in my nightdress, Julia, just a year old, and Sebastian, five. At Foothills Hospital, they slice Dad from breastbone to groin in the nick of time, as Mom would say, saving his life. Dad never recovers his previously robust health. Happy periods of recovery are punctuated by crisis after crisis, surgery following surgery for the next decade. Am I dying? Dad whispers to me. I think so. I reply, taking his hand. I've been sleeping on a cot in his hospital room the last two nights, so Mom can get some rest at home. I've watched him pass back and forth across the threshold, skin and bones curled in the fetal position. He clings to life. Mom arrives. Spiffy and neat in a tailored black suit and heels. She sits on his bed and takes his hand. Don't worry about me, John, she urges. You can let go now. I'll be fine. She holds his cold, bony hand in her warm ones. I love you, Don. I'll see you soon. You can let go now. I'll be fine. I'll see you soon. His haunted eyes look only at her. He isn't wearing his glasses. It's her voice which leads him. It's okay. I love you, Don. She doesn't stop talking until he's gone. Mom makes it through another week. She waits for Sebastian and Julia to return from holiday with their father. She eats. She smiles. She makes it through Dad's funeral, planned by me. She, the onlooker. This facade of control crumbles suddenly. Her faulty heart, veins clogged with living, the unacknowledged stranger who stowed away in her right lung all those years ago, fully reveal themselves. The night mom dies, I sit in a room at Mineral Springs Hospital and write Julia the Mountain Girl for my 11-year-old daughter's family history project at school. I write that Julia never complains about long, steep hills and trails which go on forever. Over Yoho Pass from Emerald Lake to Takaka Falls at age 4. Hiking to Skokie by way of Faux Pass and Fossil Mountain at age 5 backpacking to Lake of the Hanging Glaciers at nine, then climbing Glacier Peak. She's a young Amazon with inner as well as outer courage, and yet her spirit is sweet. When I finish, Julie and I sit in this silent room on the edge of the world and draw the tree of our family. People known and unknown, dead and living. After Gary takes Julia home, Sebastian comes in. He's asked to have private time with his grandmother to say goodbye. His black and white portrait of her is in Through the Lens, a teen photography show at the White Museum. In the photo, Mom sits in her hospital bed, a smile on her face, as it always is for him, oxygen paraphernalia telling its tale. Being oldest, Now 15, Sebastian has taken the long illness of first his grandpa and then his granny very hard. I hope mom is aware through her morphine sleep what we are saying and how much we love her. Time has been rushing by with increasing speed, carrying with it stories and memories with which I grew up. Tonight, time slows allows life and death to reveal themselves as a stream which carries us onward, no moment ever repeated, no story told the same way twice. rolled off my mother's tongue, breath of Scotland. You know she gave away everything but the kitchen sink. She told them over and over, peppered with ancestors. Grandpa Tennant, her Scotty MacDougall, Grandpa McGill and his boot shop on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh. Mum claimed to be descended from Anne Boleyn. One in Britain's descended from someone famous. I sneered to myself. Her voice hushed as she told of her ancestor, an old woman in Aberdeen who doted on her only son, who was afflicted with sleeping sickness. Drive a stake through my heart if you can't wake me. He made her promise. Swear, swear on your Bible. She paraded his coffin through the streets of Aberdeen in a coach drawn by plumed horses. I tuned Mum's stories out. I was a modern child with no appreciation for oral history, which rolled through Mum's memory and out her mouth. I'd no idea this was how she kept her Scottish home alive in a land barely evolved from frontier culture. The voice of my mother pops out of my mouth. What a kerfuffle. Touch wood. I tap my head three times with each hand. Mom's voice pops out archaic words, not welcome in modern writing. Conundrum. Raymond. Tittle-tattle. This bug's a feature. I glean a sense of my older roots from my mother. Celtic roots, which lead me to story, to poetry. Mom was known for her pointed right index finger, which she shook at anyone she thought needed chiding. As a child, I resented my mother and could reel off a self-pitying list of her transgressions. When I was ten, I lay on my bed and compiled a list of things I swore not to do, if I was ever a mother. My mother was a vivacious woman with a volatile character, who birthed a shy and imaginative only child. We were fire and water. She knew me better than anyone living. Now her words roll from my pen. She nudges me to recall the stories, knit past into present, stand in the long line of story which is her gift and my heritage. I'd give a lot to hear her stories once more. I make up my own tales about flowers and warriors, creatures who live under the sea, witches who live at the same address she once lived at, on the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, Scotland. One evening, shortly after her death, we visited Mom's apartment for one last time before I began the unraveling process, disposing of her possessions, her clothes, the food in her fridge. Julia went into Mom's bedroom and came out dressed in a silver evening dress, sinuous as snakeskin, pencil heels with silver straps. She was almost Mom's height, but the shoes were too big. Next was a cream silk blouse bowed at the neck with long ties, tailor-made trousers hung from her skinny hips. Then the pinch-waist evening dress with swing skirt of yellow taffeta and overdress of black Spanish lace. I remember my beautiful mother wearing this dress when I was a girl. She seemed impossibly glamorous. Mum kept that dress for years hanging in the back of her closet because I loved it so much because she loved it as well with every outfit julia tottered in mum's high heels multicoloured stripes pumps with bows lizard-skin sandals with dangerous tapering toes sequins printed textured my mother's shod feet were as glamorous as sepia tentacles. Others, who are we? Conduits for DNA. Hollow reeds the wind whistles through. Freight terrains, laden with cargo from our ancestors. It's been 25 years since my mother died, at the same age I am now, on October 17, 1997. It's also 25 years since the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, on August 31st, 1997. The anniversary of Diana's death has been eclipsed this year by the death of Queen Elizabeth on September 8th. This is an autumn for mourning and remembrance of remarkable women. In 1959, when I was 12, I stood for hours on Tunnel Mountain Drive waiting for the Queen's open carriage to pass as she toured Banff. I shoved my fistful of wilted mountain wildflowers at the Queen and she took them from my sweaty hand with a gracious smile. As a teenager, I was entranced by the idea of a Commonwealth of Nations. Only gradually did I learn of injustices suffered under colonialism, in Canada and around the world. My attitudes and understanding forever changed. Still. If there remains the possibility of and in our polarized world, the Commonwealth Queen Elizabeth understood, envisioned and endeavored to preserve shines a light in the darkness of oppression and cruelty. I light the candle Julia gave me for my birthday, in your memory, Mom. It's scented and in a lidded rose-pink ceramic container. I wouldn't have chosen this candle for myself, but you would have. It's your style. After Sebastian left, you were drifting in a morphing sleep, peaceful and far away. I lay a lace shawl, last gift from your niece Marette over your chest. Martha was with me, a former RN who helped with your care, and a kind hospital nurse, a Buddhist. We performed a Sufi healing ceremony over your dying body. Its concentrations and prayers, the incense in the room, wafted you onward on the vibration of your name nora mcgill Harmon. o thou who art the healer of our bodies hearts and souls by thy mercy may she be healed by thy all-sufficient power of healing amen and you don't come back to me in a ghostly way as my grandparents do no Your presence comes to me as comfort, healing, and inspiration.
0: You've been listening to Carol Harmon, writer, co-producer, and co-host of Writers Radio. Reading from her story... Queen of Flowers, about her vivacious Scottish mother, whose gift of storytelling has been passed on to her daughter. I'm Ingrid Rose. This is Writers Radio. You can hear this story again on the hour, every hour, on our website, and then as a podcast, at the same address, writersradio.ca. My appreciation to music maestro Gary Sill, also co-producer along with Carol Harmon and myself, Ingrid Rose. Remember, you can subscribe to writersradio.ca to receive news of upcoming programs in your inbox.
1: You have been listening to Writer's Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling that connects us to the inspiration behind the words. Be sure to check the website, writersradio.ca, to subscribe to our free notifications list. It's also a way of letting the writers know you are there and appreciating their creative work. Writers Radio broadcasts from Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast in Canada, traditional tribal land of the she Nation of the Coast Salish peoples. We express our gratitude for their wisdom teachings and land stewardship.